0: Hey everyone, this is Arnold with warm Welcome, a show where we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants in New York City. This is season two, where we're featuring nine Asian-American restaurateurs and chef owners. This is the last episode of the season. We're sitting down with Sakura Yagi, who is the COO of TIC Restaurant Group. If you haven't heard of TIC Restaurant Group, I'm sure you've heard of some of their restaurants. So just to name a few, Sobaya, Sakagura, Cha'an Sake Bar Decibel Asaki Otafuku Korea High Collar, Shabutatsu I mean just stellar restaurants that are in the East Village um, Most of these restaurants They're located in between 3rd and 2nd on 9th Or on 10th Street between 2nd and 1st Avenue And they've kind of created a little Japantown A little Tokyo of their own I mean there isn't really an official um, japan town in new york there like there is korea town or chinatown so they really spearheaded this thing and transformed this little block in new york in lower manhattan to uh, an awesome cultural place that has so many restaurants that specialize in certain things in japanese cuisine when i was at nyu i, I used to dorm at alumni hall which is actually on third uh, and ninth i want to say and i was so close to all these restaurants and it turns out i've I went to all of them, and eventually I noticed and found out that it all belonged to one restaurant group. So I'm really happy to say, I'm really happy to have Sakura on the show because they're they're a group I looked up to a lot. So without further ado, this is Sakura Yagi of TIC Restaurant Group.
1: Growing up in the 80s, late 80s, 90s, it's kind of just, there weren't a lot of Japanese Americans. I went to, my parents really an emphasis on education and they put me to s- private school ever since junior kindergarten and I'm really lucky for that um, I feel blessed but I was like one of you know a handful of Asians in yeah. the entire school yeah that was my entire education experience Wow. Um, you know Twinkie is a great term for me I would say growing up my mom doesn't speak English um, even to this day after 30 something years of being in New York And so Japanese was spoken in the household and she really did her best to teach me Japanese and I had to go to Japanese school on Saturdays. I'm grateful that they tortured me in this way. (laughs) Only not for the language aspect, though. That is a a part of it. Yeah, but I think because I was in such a white society to be the majority for I don't know, seven hours of that day is significant. It was nice for those seven hours that I was in Japanese school that I was like, I had, I was just completely the majority. Everyone looked like me. You know, if you grow up in California or Hawaii, that's a given, but in New York or at least in the East coast, that's definitely not the case.
0: So being raised in New York City as a Japanese American was rather difficult for Sakura because there wasn't a big Japanese population. The next chapter here I wanted to tackle was how she growing in a restaurant family, I think it's natural to help out around the restaurant. So I was curious to see if she had any experience uh, working for her, her dad and for the TIC restaurant group,
1: you know, from a very young age, restaurants were a part of my life. Mm my parents took me everywhere apparently i was a really good baby and didn't cry that much (laughs) which i find it so hard to believe my mom is a really great home cook and so we didn't get a lot of takeout or delivery that was something completely new that i discovered in like college you know if we're we were at home my my mom cooked if we didn't want to stay at home it would always be a new restaurant or you know we would go out a lot so from a young age we went out A ton. I did start working at the restaurants at 14. Otafuku, it's our takoyaki place. It used to be a tiny hole in the wall, very, you know, cramped, Uh, didn't even have AC at that time. Uh, It was like, it was just so sweltering hot. Humble beginnings. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a lot of burns from the grill at that time. Um, But it was fun, you know, it was just, it was simple operation, yeah. you know, it's octopus balls and it's proprietary machine and then yakisoba grill and okonomiyaki and that was kind of it. You know, no sitting, no, yeah. you know, it's only standing or takeout and it was fun to work there over the over the summers. And then I kind of leveled up and then went to um, Sobaya across the street. Yeah. Uh, I started as a, a, a busser there and then, few summers later as a maitre d and so on and so forth Yeah, but this was
0: just like a natural byproduct of being around like the restaurant
1: yeah it wasn't like a necessity for me to work per se you know my parents were like if you're just gonna sit at home why don't you just go work or something or just like and you
0: could spend time with them in a way
1: exactly well they weren't at the restaurants so you know i didn't get to see them when i worked it was great to kind of see the employees who work there and kind of talk to them. And when I was a major D at Sobaya, you know, um, there, that was probably, I don't know, like 16 or something, 15, 16. Some of the people who still work there today were the, were my coworkers, you know? Um, that's so crazy. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like family in a way. Mm -hmm. Like they've known me for, since we were a kid. Yeah. You know, um, ever since I was, you know, an obnoxious teenager, <laughs> <laughs> so it's really great. And now I have my own daughter, and I bring them to the restaurant, and they all, you know, say hi to her, and yeah. it's, it's it's quite amazing, it's really wonderful. Yeah. I would say,
0: yeah, it's so impressive when I hear kind of snippets of stories like this, where these her restaurants that you have to know have been around for. Some of them, 30 years. Like, Hasaki opened in 84. Sobaya uh, and Otafuku, they, they've been around for quite a bit too. And if you know anything about restaurants, that's something that's very difficult. It's, it's hard to leave the lights on and op- stay open for, for as long as they've done for most of the restaurants. Sakura, however, had a different passion. And that was her love for languages, which is what she pursued in higher education.
1: So I've always in, been into languages. So in high school, I loved my Spanish literature class. It was an AP class. I love the teacher, um, and I totally thought I was going to continue studying Spanish. Oh, OK. And I went to Middlebury in Vermont, and they're known for languages. And I was like, great, I'm going to continue Spanish. And then I took the class, and I got placed lower than I thought I wa- was going to be placed. And I was really surprised, and I was like, ah, I don't know. I maybe it was just I was like deflated or something, and I was like, maybe I'll just do something completely different. And so I was like, I'm not going to take Japanese uh-huh. because that would be, be cheating. Like the easy way out, yeah. yeah. Um And I was like, what can I learn? And Middlebury has a great Chinese program. And I was like, oh, it'll help me with my characters. it doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was like stupidly like, oh, let's do Chinese <laughs> and. Um, It was one of the best decisions I made. Studying Chinese, I mean, it's one of the hardest majors or, you know, sub-majors at Middlebury. It's very intensive. But the opportunity to study abroad and live in China for half a year, it was just amazing. Well, I graduated 2009 from college, and that was probably one of the worst Worst, years to graduate. And so I actually did a lot of odd jobs. I nannied. I... Worked. Our, I interned at Martha Stewart back when she had um, a TV show, and then during the nighttime, because it was back then you could have an unpaid internship um, at nighttime. I would then go work at Shake Shack just on the line. No you know? way. Yep. Yep. I wanted to. F- I wanted to see what Shake. Sh- back then, Shake Shack wasn't like you know the. It IP is now? Of the yeah. yeah. But it was interesting cool. to just. I worked at the Times Square location, which is like one of the busiest, and it was interesting to to do that too.
0: After working these various jobs after school, uh, Sakura wanted a more of a stable career and uh, a full-time job opportunity. So she actually worked in PR, as you'll soon learn. Uh, And she had a great time doing that. But fortunately, there was a health issue with her dad that made her reevaluate her life choices at the time. And that's when she decided to get back into the family business
1: friend of mine said hey you know actually they were like you know my firm won a project or won a client for the Korean Food Foundation and okay. they were like you're asian
0: uh, no <laughs>
1: <laughs> literally they were like you're asian do you like and i was i was interviewing you know at that time mm-hmm. and they were like we don't really have like somebody who understands, like, Asian culture. And so they wanted to bring on somebody who was a little bit more well-versed in, you know, traditions in the in the okay. East. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was happy. I was like, yes, I got a job. And I really loved everyone that I worked with. And, uh, yeah, it was my first formal, like, PR job. And I learned a lot. It was great. It was the first time, you know, I really learn the importance of social media it's just such an important tool for brands um now more so than ever but back then it was really interesting i got to um meet people from the food network and all things all through the lens of korean food (laughs) so funny (laughs) i know (laughs) great yeah
0: i kind of want to talk about another time Mm -hmm. fast forwarding to like 2012 which I'm sure is more of a darker time for you and your family, right? Because your your dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer. But this is also kind of when you decided to jump into your family business, Mm -hmm. which is a really, like, big decision, right? To kind of, because you're on your own path. And I think that's something, like, also being, you know, from, like, a restaurant family, I kind of always wanted to go down my own path. But, like, deciding to kind of forego that to take care of, you know, what your family has built there and to continue that is, is a very hard decision to make.
1: I think it made it easier when I thought about how hard that I was working for my PR job, you know, I think as Asian kids we're kind of told to work really hard at any job and, uh, you know, I, I was promoted and things like that and it was great. But then I thought to myself, if I'm working so hard for this company, would I rather be know, stressing out over my work at this company or stressing out to help my family. And if I really thought about it, you know, I said, who can do the job that I can do if I join the restaurant Mm. or my family's restaurant Mm. um, group? I think part of it is you don't want to be seen as like a privileged kid joining a family business because I think there's a stigma uh, around that. Like, oh, you couldn't find a job. So you're joining the family business or all these things. And, you know, it's a, it's a really hard thing to deal with your own pride, I guess. And like you say, forego all the other possibilities that are provided by you. Thanks to your parents, you know? But, you know, I really thought about, like, what can I do that only I can do, mm-hmm. you know? And I think I landed on help my family business. Mm. You know, it's just my father doesn't have, you know, formal college education. He, you know, I mean, it's a whole different story. But he missed his college entrance exam and so then decided to come to the States. So, you know, he, his education ends in high school. And, you know, he's a street smart guy, yeah. not necessarily someone who's well-versed. He didn't have email until I joined the company. <laughs> you know, it's just, even now I'm like, oh, how many phone calls do I get about, like, you know, IT stuff? Yeah. And it was a temporary thing. Right. I thought to myself, okay, if I, if I work for five years and kind of get the company to, you know, a level uh, that know can move on to the next decade and grow for the next decade then you know that's something that i feel comfortable doing yeah and i didn't see it as a long-term thing yeah i'm like oh yeah i'll just help yeah yeah seven eight years later here i am (laughs) but um i mean family business is no joke it is so hard yeah yeah but it's a love-hate relationship it's it's one of the best decisions I've made, but there are days when I, you know. At the end of the day, I'm very, I think I really try to go to sleep being grateful for what I have. I mean, I think we can all think of like, what if, what if. It's a struggle, but I kind of enjoy the struggle. Yeah. You know, I kind of jumped into a position that had a lot of decision-making power, very quickly. Like, for example, changing the POS systems. You know, I think that's a decision that usually if it was a, you know, quote-unquote normal company, it would have to go through some bureaucratic steps to make those changes. But because I was the owner's daughter, I could make that decision and sort of get the green light and then you know, make all the changes that I thought were necessary and get get yelled at along the way. But, (laughs) you know, to be able to wield that kind of decision-making power, um, at a young age and without the maybe years of experience that some of the other managers had, um, there was a lot of tension. I had to make a lot of changes.
0: What I'm really most impressed by from Sakura and her family is their tenacity but also their creativity in executing multiple concepts as you've learned they have different restaurants that specialize in one thing Like curry yeah, focuses on japanese style curry soba yeah, focuses on soba so on and so forth so i was curious to see what the inspiration was behind these restaurants how they kind of come to life um, and so i wanted her to kind of expand on that
1: next what we do that's different and difficult is the multiple concept. You know, if you have, if you have one brand, one concept, you can make variations on that concept. But, you know, there are certain things that don't change, obviously, like the name or like, you know, signature items or whatnot. Um, but to do a completely different concept is just you know, starting from scratch. Um, and that's something that my father, I mean, I seriously have so much respect for him, yeah. um, to be able to do that. And I think he can do it because he's not looking at the financials, mm. you know, it doesn't make financial sense. <laughs> it really doesn't, <laughs> but it makes emotional sense. It makes, yeah, you know, totally. it's, all of his restaurants that he's opened, it's because he wanted to go there. They're all places. And that's why they're all carbs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day,
1: day, it's all carbs. For example, Hasaki, he opened in the East village, you know, back when there weren't a lot of sushi restaurants and they were all concentrated in midtown and they were a higher price point. The reason why he opened up Hasaki was because he wanted, he missed, going to a sushi restaurant, sure. but he didn't have, you know, tons of money to splurge on
0: a midtown omakase. A midtown,
1: yeah, exactly. Even in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and he was like, I want to make a place where I would be comfortable going um, at my price point. Um, and he thought that other people would also feel the same way. Yeah, um,
0: Is that kind of the inspiration for most of the concepts where it's yes. like, it's like, you know what? I want a soba like, yeah. A
1: place. Yeah. yeah. And there were great soba restaurants, you know, but maybe they're just a little higher priced. A lot of the times, the Japanese restaurants that popped up on the scene, whether they they were from Japan or whatnot, they were at a higher price point. Yeah. You'll see like Otoya, you know, they're completely different from what they are in Japan. Mm. Obviously, to deal with the high rent and high operating cost, makes business sense. But for my father, it was like, oh, like, I want, you know, soba, or I want ramen, or I want shabu-shabu, or I want curry, whatever. It was always the concept of he could go there and be satisfied.
0: Um, what was the idea behind, like, really specializing in, like, one thing and doing that one thing right? Is that- Yeah,
1: I think, you know, in the 70s, early 80s, you know, when you think of Japanese restaurant, you're thinking, of, yeah, they have everything, like, Teriyaki chicken, tempura udon. I think he really wanted to showcase that there were different aspects of Japanese cuisine and wanted to make it like it was in Japan. Mm. You know? Um, it wasn't about the items themselves, it wasn't about the food alone. It was about walking into the restaurant and feeling like you were walking into a sober restaurant in yeah, Japan. you're
0: getting transported, right? Exactly,
1: and that's kind of, that's kind of you know, the idea behind our restaurant group, um, Japan Without Airfare, Enjoy Japan Without Airfare, in the sense that you walk into any of our restaurants and you are immediately transported to Japan, but different, you know, districts in Japan and different types of places in Japan, um, and that's, what he wanted to create not somewhere where he can get the food items and be satisfied. It's about the entire experience, experience. Yeah. um, food atmosphere service. That's what he always talks about. Um, and atmosphere is really important. Uh, he works with the designer very closely to build out each restaurant and he loves designing. He's a very visual person, um, and he—I think when he looks at a space, he
0: just—he draws He it can out like see it. Yeah,
1: you know, it's like—it's pretty, and I think that's just from years of experience. You know, I—I I can't see the way that he does. Yeah, it's really fascinating to see. Yeah,
0: let's talk about the name of the restaurant group a little bit too. TIC because. I think it, it stands for total information center, right? But you've been quoted also to be saying it could mean Tokyo and change. Yeah.
1: I tried to like use TSC. Kind of rebranded a little (laughs) bit. rebranded a little. So
0: where did that first initial, like total information center come from and and come about?
1: Yeah. So my father, again, the fact that he was street smart, he tried to do a a lot of different businesses. Um, You know, he had the restaurant business, but he also... Uh, did a video rental. Huh. Um, he also did beeper rentals. Then that transitioned to cell phone rentals. Uh, he did, and we still do a Toto Washlet. Uh, we're authorized dealer, so I like to say we take care of everything from the beginning <laughs> to the end. <laughs> you know, he did a. a, a lot a of lot different of th- things oh, okay
0: that makes sense
1: and so it was kind of like a total Umbrella inf- yeah company for exactly. all of these different
0: ventures
1: so total information center you could go there and it was kind of there to help the expats
0: another special thing i wanted to highlight about tic restaurant group and what they do is they were one of the first japanese restaurateurs and restaurant groups to venture out into the east village the east village wasn't anything like what we know of it today where it's an abundance of of Asian restaurants. In fact, a lot of the people that I've had on the show actually have a restaurant in the East Village. But in the 80s, in the 90s, it, it wasn't the place to be. And especially for Japanese people in the Japanese restaurants. They were all in Midtown, Midtown East. I mean, there's still a lot of great restaurants there closer to the UN. But Banyagi and TIC Restaurant Group, they're the first to take a chance on this, on this neighborhood. So my question was why east village and why it held such a special place for them
1: my father attributes his interest or his the importance of the east village to the fact that commodore perry who kind of opened up japan to the the world used his um grave used to lie in saint mark's church Mm. and he was like I have always been connected to this place because of that. And I'm like, okay, okay. But, um, yeah, I guess he was just kind of attracted to that neighborhood. I mean, it was a very, very seedy neighborhood back in the eighties. Yeah. Um, he used to have a, you know, an all American diner. diner. Yeah. Yeah. Where mighty Quinn is on second Avenue. Yeah. Um, it was seedy. I mean, he's seen so many things like he's the AIDS crisis. He's, a lot of you know of his customers die because of that a lot of you know so he's experienced a lot um in that area and he's seen it change you know now it's just like oh yeah facebook is there and um
0: not not, not even that it's just like it's you know what's interesting is like everyone that i've had on on this show and on the season so far guess where the restaurant their asian restaurant is it's in the east village so Uh, I I think just like the one last thing I want to share with you was like it's really cool because at the end of the day I think that you guys really trailblaze this this area for other Asian Americans to have the opportunity to open up their Asian restaurants there because I think you and your father were at the forefront of this of like Embedding into people that this is a special neighborhood. This is kind of a neighborhood where you can go for Japanese food which also is kind of crazy i I just want to put that out there like there's a curry town on 32nd street that it's like labeled and recognized as curry town obviously Chinatown's like everywhere you go there's a really big chinatown but like you guys have kind of created this really special place um on 10th street and i I think that's so awesome
1: thank you i mean i think other people contributed to that area as well the yoshidas were there and the you know we've worked with as a community i think but my father definitely and thank you for you know saying that he trail because he really did um i think he because of his experience he was he's never uncomfortable anywhere really yeah. he can just kind of go into a place talk to people become friends with them yeah. And I think that kind of curiosity and that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just maybe confidence, maybe that just strength, I don't know to go to a place that's not developed, you know, help develop the neighborhood, work with the community there. He always talks about, you know, every single year for the past, like, I don't know, 25 years or something we've worked with our local precinct and we, you know, cater or volunteer and, you know, give back to the police department there. And we work, it used to be a Ukrainian neighborhood. So we work with like the Veselka people. He wants people to come to the area and open up restaurants and because it's it's more fun when more people yeah. come, <laughs> but yeah he uh you know he uh, i'm sure it was a really scary time
0: yeah i mean
1: you know the japanese embassy was no, like, i believe it yeah why why would you go there yeah why would you open up there everyone wanted to be in midtown it was safer it was but he was like i can't afford that rent you know and listen i already have that experience with the diner yeah And i think. He's always his customers has all uh, have always been neighborhood people. Yeah, as well as expats expat families Yeah, you know, and I think the people that he wants to come to the restaurants are mostly Mostly that and I think that's how the restaurants have survived yeah. a lot.
0: the longevity of their restaurants is very impressive and usually while we would end the episode around this time i wanted to tackle something that uh, sakura and i both wanted to share and she was so candid and generous enough to share with with me and it's that being a single parent right and sakura is recently separated and she's raising a uh, beautiful beautiful daughter by herself and this is just something that we wanted to kind of delve into just a little bit especially for anyone out there that is a single parent you know i growing up I actually had a a single dad who really raised me and my younger brother and uh, it's very important for me to to also get this message out there as well so you know it's it's difficult and I I, I obviously I don't know how difficult it must be either because I I don't have a kid of my own but uh, I want to make sure that we cover this in this episode
1: it's hard yeah every day is hard uh being a single parent is no joke. And I think as a single parent, I can see how, you know, the relationship with my daughter is going to be completely different Mm -hmm. from what I have with my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there are pros and cons to any situation. Um, You know, some of my mom friends are like, oh, Sakura, you're so lucky. You don't have to argue with your husband (laughs) about every decision. And I'm like, well, you know, I would love to have someone to argue with, you know, have someone to kind of be that invested in their child. But at the same time, yeah, I guess it's nice not to argue, (laughs) (laughs) you know.
0: (laughs) Hindsight, right?
1: Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, it, it was about, partly about he wasn't ready to have... Yeah, that's what it seems like. But also the fact that I didn't prescribe to this, I don't know, this um, definition of a Japanese wife. Mm. With me, you know, my father was also raised by a single mom, five other siblings, and he left when he was 17. He doesn't really have this kind of um, preconceived notion of what a wife should be or what a Mother should be, or what a father should be. So I think we seem very traditional in many ways, but
0: you may not be compare in comparison to in
1: comparison to maybe other yeah. Japanese American families. Yeah. All my life, I was pushing myself and being pushed to excel at whatever I did, whether it was academics or sports or whatever. And then to get to a certain point where then you're told to be this completely different type of woman that's not you know trying to excel at your career or you know just be a go-getter and be kind of in the background more is is very difficult Mm -hmm. and i know a lot of not just japanese american but asian women who kind of struggle with that yeah because it's not just the men it's The older generations were also telling us to be a certain way because that's what they were told to. But growing up here, it's like, you know, ask the questions, raise your hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, go get that bread. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, so it's a, it's, it's, it's hard to balance. But you know, I want my daughter. When I think about how I want my daughter to grow up, I want her to know that it would be wonderful yeah. to be in a relationship that's mutually supportive and whether that's with a man or a woman or whatever. But at the end of the day, I want her to become a woman who's comfortable with herself and know that she's complete by herself. You know, she doesn't need anyone to complete her um, or to give her her identity. Yeah. I love uh, that. That's, that's something that I realized through this process. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for the struggles that I've that I've experienced because yeah. it's really made me more confident in who I am yeah. and to be grateful for everything that I have, yeah. even though everything is so difficult. Sure. I rather look at myself in the mirror every day and be completely exhausted and look like shit. But, <laughs> 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 but you know, have a smile on my face and be yeah. content with who I am. For sure. Um, so, you know, work's crazy, life's crazy, but yeah, my daughter definitely makes it worth it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: Sakura, thank you so much for being on the show, but also being so willing to share so much with me and with the audience. And it, it means a lot because I think there's definitely someone out there that's going to resonate with your story and what you're going through. Uh, this was an awesome season, and I think you were the perfect person to kind of wrap up this season with. You know, heading into season three, I've, I've had a lot of thoughts about what I wanted to be around, and um, moving forward, that's kind of what I want to do, is nine episodes per season, which revolves around the single thing, and this season was about Asian-American restaurateurs and chef owners, and um, I, don't, I don't know if you've noticed this, but each restaurateur or chef is representing an Asian country. Like, all nine people are from different Asian countries. So, anyways, I just wanted to take this quick time to thank everybody for tuning in to this season of the With Form Welcome podcast and to all the guests that were on the show and, you know, really excited for what's to come and season three I've been working on already. So, stay tuned for that. But, uh, regardless, Sakura, thank you. Thank you again and... If you haven't been to any of our restaurants, please go. You can, make a whole, you can make a whole trip out of it. It's just a diverse portfolio that you can get breakfast, lunch, coffee, dessert, and drinks at all, all in one go with all of our restaurants. So check them out, TIC Restaurant Group. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on With One Walking.